This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nikidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from the Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully ever, 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything so Jess has been doing her long runs interval sessions and she will be tackling the final 10k in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes yeah big focus on endurance and a brand new foam which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs so if you want to know more head to the link in the show notes You are listening to the Running Channel podcast with me, Andy Badley, my co-host, Sarah Hartley, who claims to be an average runner, but everybody is outraged by it. And then over there, Rick, who's pushing some buttons, I think. Just about pushing them again. It was so successful the first week that we've decided to do a second week. Excellent. We should keep going. (laughs) Don't get complacent, Rick. Sorry, that's a really good point, actually. (laughs) Very good point. I'll just shut up now. So we're back. Very exciting. We made it through the first episode. If you haven't listened before, then every week we're going to be covering one big topic in the world of running. We'll also be talking about some recent news events, plus answering your questions and just generally talking about something that we all love, running. Hopefully you love it too. Yeah, running. We're going to try to give you a little insight into our passion for it hopefully make you enjoy it more and and maybe improve it through some of the stuff we talk about. And the most exciting thing is that you can take us with you on your runs now, whereas before we were just video. Uh, now you can get us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Now That's we're such in a your good ear point. Holes. Yeah. Such a good point. Because before, obviously, people were just trying to watch YouTube while running, which is actually really difficult. Is that what you were doing? Out in <laughs> yeah. the streets of London, you were taking your phone out and trying to watch it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Videos of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry. Only what you only you only watch the videos that you're in, right? Uh, that, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sometimes if Sarah's in them as well, I'll, I'll, we'll watch them. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. We're, we're, we're starting early, but we're back. Yes. We're in. <laughs> what was that? Thirty seconds, and we've already insulted Andy. Perfect. I think this is going to be a recurring theme. So tune in every week just to listen to me get uh, Mickey taken out of me. <laughs> Shall we talk about the big topic for this episode? Yes, let's. So this week we are going to be talking about running paces explained. There is so much to unpack here, but we thought we would break it down. If you're brand new to running or if you've been running for ages, there's something here for everyone. But should we start off with one end of running paces and then ramp all the way up to the top? Yeah, it's a a really common question that we get um, on the running channel, which is what do the different paces mean? How could you define them? How do you know whether you're running at the right effort? And, you know, there's, there's not sort of a one size fits all approach but we can definitely give some pointers, I reckon. Yeah, and we'll make it relevant to no matter what your actual specific pace is, you should be running at a variation of different paces all throughout the week, which I think is the first thing I want to cover. When I started running, every single run was the same pace. Yeah, we're probably going to hammer this point. Don't just run all your runs at the same pace. and Don't run at the pace that you want to run for 5K or 10K. Mix it up, not least because it keeps it interesting. Yeah, even if you're just going for short runs, even if you were going to do three 5Ks a week, it's so much better to vary those paces within those runs if you're doing the same distance break it up chunking rick's favorite word yeah apparently we're getting some merch made that, uh, by popular it. demand from last week's episode <laughs> please keep emailing in because yeah. i feel like we're actually close to making these into real life t-shirts I'm very very happy with that so uh, <laughs> this is how this is how all the best ideas come about podcast at the running channel.com so if you're going to start off with describing the different paces that you could go through each week andy mm. how would you break it down so i would split it 
I'm sure you're going to write in and, and I'm going to be controversial or I'll have missed something, but I would start with easy running and, and I would include recovery runs as the same thing as easy running. Um, then I would go on to steady runs, then tempo, then threshold, and then intervals. And actually there's lots of different paces within intervals, um, but that's a good starting point. And then I'm guessing right at the top of the spectrum, you've also got strides as well. Yeah, they're, they're a form of interval, I reckon. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I'm getting and, ahead of myself. Well, and, and, and then you could say race pace as well. But again, yeah. the different paces within interval training are going to be race pace. And, and we're going to talk about, I suppose, how to know whether you're going too fast, but also the, the feeling that you should have. And that's going to be quite different. Like maintaining race pace for a four-hour marathon for the first hour or two, that shouldn't feel like the world's most difficult 10 out of 10 pace. Mm. But maintaining your mile pace that's going to feel really hard even in the first minute. So, yeah, very different. One thing I want to bring up as well is what is your view on 80-20 running? That's Matt Fitzgerald's <laughs> formula, essentially. 80% of your running should be at an, a relatively easy pace and the 20% should be high quality. So whether it's 80-20 or a slightly different number, yes, broadly that is what I would subscribe to. That's how I trained. That, you know, I ran 12 times a week during my career, plus gym sessions and so on. But the vast majority of that, if you factored in warm downs, warm ups and warm downs, um, as well as the easy runs and steady runs, that made up probably about 80% of my training. And then there were three key workouts a week where there's real hard work was done. Is warm down a thing? Do yeah. you say warm down? I'd have yeah. always said warm down. Would you say cool down? Yeah. I'd say warm down. Warm up. Warm down. Warm down. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with Rick. But there, here we go. We need to start a poll already. Let us know what you'd say. Would it be warm uh, up, cool down? Well, that's you know, Sarah doesn't feel like there's the, your, your <laughs> eyes tell me that there's absolutely no room for negotiation. Warm down. What's that? Warm down. Well, you're warming down. Yeah, you're, you, you're very warm, and you're going less warm. <laughs> but you're not warming down. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look. That's what does what, that even mean? I don't mean? know. <laughs> I've gone out for a cold walk in winter, and then I'm just going to warm down next to the fire. <laughs> Hey, let us know what you think, but we're a two-one split here, Sarah. You're actually outnumbered. Right. Okay. Sorry. Maybe, maybe this is a one of those south-north things, you know, where some people in the north think it's warm down, whereas in the south you go yeah. cool down. Rick and I are both from the northwest, from the uh, the Paradise Peninsula, the Wirral. <laughs> yeah. Don't laugh. You're, you're, you're now just looking really confused. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've never been north of Birmingham, so. <laughs> you, you were at the running show. Is that the furthest in Birmingham. you've been? Yeah. In Birmingham. I don't know what happens past there. Yeah. Uh. So 80%, majority of your running needs to be at that slower pace. Yeah. One thing that it's, I spent a long time wrestling with is that when your paces are getting faster, when you're chipping away at your 5K time, it can actually feel quite demoralizing to have to go out and do those easy runs. Because if you're if you're running 12 times a week, then I'm guessing you're getting that balance of both. So it feels yes. like you're doing both. Whereas if you're I, only running three to four times a week, then it does actually feel like quite a long time before you get back to that run where maybe... Where you're picking it up a little bit and you feel like you're flowing and you're in your pace. Yeah, so I actually found it quite hard. When I was training to even go like sub 25 minute 5k I never wanted to run especially if it was a short run I'd have like an easy 5k recovery run which I should have been doing closer to like 30 minutes for 5k yeah I never wanted to do that but how important is it to run slower like what does a slower run actually do for you yeah it's it's really important it allows you to recover and it's not just recovery it's adaptation so you and what I mean by that is that it's in the easier runs or even if like, you know, I, I would recommend what's called a, a deload week where you kind of 
every fourth or fifth week in your training program, you might actually have a much easier week where you either reduce the volume or the intensity or both. Um, and that's when you get all of the physiological adaptations. So that's when your body actually say, makes the physiological kind of cellular level changes to the way that you're able to produce energy, that your muscles are going to kind of respond and, and, and be stronger. And all of those adaptations take place when you give your body the chance to kind of maximize those adaptations. So you have to have the easy in order to take advantage of the hard. Nice. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've also got interval running. Yeah. Should we just go to the other extreme and then unpack the middle bit? Because I think that's the most confusing. Yeah, this is a uh, fascinating insight into Sarah's brain. No sort of log- logical progression through the um, through <laughs> the paces. I'm just dancing we'll just around. One well, I think all the middle ones are really confusing. So I want to like cap off what interval okay. running is and yeah. then circle back to tempo and threshold. Well, if we if we if we just finish off easy by saying that's probably three or four out of ten effort. Yeah. Uh, rate of perceived exertion. So RP, you might. With one being? One would be almost doing nothing. Um, And then 10 being? 10 being absolute max, you're flat out. That's as fast as you could possibly go. That's your complete red line. You can't do any more. Like a child running 100 metres at sports day? Yes, or Sarah running the first 100 metres of any 5k race I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, it's exciting. Yeah, you do get very excited. Um, Except when I'm pacing you and then you just look really angry. Yeah, well, you never come with me for the first lap. You just hop in about 2k in and go, what have you done? Yeah, yeah, you've ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so now we are jumping to intervals. And and yeah, this is at least 8 out of 10 effort. So sometimes it might be nine towards the end of a really tough workout, a 10 out of 10. I would definitely say you don't need to dig as deep as 10 out of the 10 very regularly because that's when you kind of dig yourself a hole recovery-wise that you might not get back from. Yeah. Um, always better to leave a little bit in the tank than it is to completely empty it every single run or every single, single training session. The thing with intervals as well, so I had an interval session this week which was two sets of eight times 400 metres. The first two classic me were too fast and that isn't I wasn't eight out of ten on those first two reps but by the time I got to the end of the session it, it was eight out of ten and I think that's an yeah. important thing with intervals as well is that it it doesn't mean that every single interval in that yeah the average is, yeah the, the, the average, average over so, and, and if you are doing reps that are the same distance and you're aiming for a particular pace um, then the goal should be that the first and the eighth one or first and the tenth one however many they're they're, they're the same and yes, that means that for the first one, uh, it should feel a little bit easier. Funnily enough, though, actually, I think the second and third efforts in, in interval sessions feel easier because of something called VO2 kinetics, which is how fast your body can get up to maximum operating capacity. So in that first effort, particularly if it's cold, even though you've done a thorough warm-up, when you go into that harder pace, it feels awful. You're like, There's no way I can do eight of these. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it settles into it a little bit. If you're doing eight, 100% hardest ones are six and seven. Yeah, actually, sometimes we used to do whether it was eight lots of a K or six times a mile, then the second to last one, so the fifth or the seventh one, my coach Andy would have asked us to go much harder on that one. So whatever pace I was trying to run, and I might have been asked to go five or 10 seconds per kilometer faster on that penultimate effort because you don't want to do it. And exactly <laughs> in a race, you don't want to dig deep in that bit before the, the home stretch. When you can see the finish line, it's easier to pick up the pace. Right. So that's intervals. That's the yep. fast bit of running done. Now let's go back into the, the middle of those two extremes. So we've got, in my mind, we've got tempo running, threshold running. And probably before that, in between easy and tempo is steady. Steady. So, oh, yeah. So if we're three or four out of 10, maybe creeping towards five out of 10 for easy, then five out of 10, maybe six out of 10 is, um, is, is steady running. Um, and 
at easy running and still steady running, you should still be able to have a conversation, uh, but you're going to be more breathless at steady running. And that's a much more kind of sustained effort. So it's not your, I feel really tired. I'm just going to get a run done run. It's a little bit more of a concerted effort to kind of maybe hit a pace or, or just, just be pushing that little bit. So you, you should still be able to chat. Should we attack tempo and threshold? Yes. So interestingly, throughout my career, I probably use these terms interchangeably. And you do see that a lot in the kind of literature and when people write about it, tempo, threshold, which is which. But I think if we're being true to the definitions, then tempo is slightly slower than threshold. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, can I do the definition? Because I wrote a script about this. Uh, Yeah. See if you can test yourself. If I get this wrong, interject. So threshold running is going to be at your lactate threshold, which if you want an incredible video to watch, go and watch me and Andy getting our VO2 max tested, which is where they find your lactate threshold. You run run to exhaustion. And (laughs) and as part of that test, they find this this turn point in in when your body starts producing this extra, extra lactate. Yeah. So lactate threshold or kind of threshold running is a pace which you should be able to sustain for about an hour. So quite often with threshold runs, they're only going to be kind of 40 to 45 minutes. So you're holding that pace for a little bit less. Yeah, exactly. You could do it for an hour, like it's pro- but but that would be really tough. So yeah. so if you are running at that threshold, you're at the right heart rate, um, then it's, it's going to be hard. So yeah, mine were usually about 30 minutes. And it's great for re- like recovery. Threshold runs are quite often what elites will just throw in all the way throughout their training because it's something that you can kind of keep popping in. Yeah, the, it, people have asked me what was the biggest single thing that, that, I, that, was, that helped me to be successful as a professional athlete. And it was the introduction of proper threshold running and by proper i mean there's a i had the luxury of lab tests to tell me whether i was operating at the right heart rate zones and you know blood tests to to check as i was running how much lactate was in my blood to work out whether it's aerobic or anaerobic but the, the key is you can learn to feel it so if you're above your lactate threshold you can start to feel the lactate accumulating you start to feel slightly heavy legged that means you're going too fast and you're no longer purely working aerobically so you're not doing the right kind of training and I was told, you know, it's better to be five or 10 beats too low than it is to be one beat too high in terms of heart rate. Interesting. So then tempo running, mm. very slightly slower than that. And so tempo running, you're going to see more often in marathon training plans because yeah. you can go for a little bit longer. Yeah, that's where you probably see an hour or maybe a little bit longer at a tempo run. So it's just that step up from a threshold run where it's you're just pushing against probably what feels like more resistance. So, you you know, six to seven out of if, if threshold is seven out of 10 then um, tempo is six to seven out of 10. It's, it's a subtle difference, but you're just easing back a little bit. So you're not right on the line of crossing over from aerobic to anaerobic. You're just a little bit back from that, but it's harder and, and a more of a it's, a, it's a mental test. Like it's a, it's a good way of getting mentally strong in marathon training. Yeah, they're really good runs to do. And like you say, they're ones that a lot of people use to get fitter there are also lots of different tests out there if you're not sure what your threshold pace is or you want to kind of work out what your threshold and tempo runs should be we've got videos on it plus there's loads of stuff out there if you want to find out what your specific pace is yeah and don't get bogged down in the terminology ultimately we're chatting about it today to try and help um get out there and run mix up your paces and don't worry about it too much yeah if you're not an experienced runner then having that variety is going to immediately make you fitter and if you are a really experienced runner then starting to dial into the like accuracy of your different paces will make a massive difference to how much you can uh, get out of the training that you do do because we're time limited. Um, So what you do, you want to make sure it sort of gives you that maximum return. And that doesn't mean just doing everything hard. It's equally important to get those recovery runs in. 
yeah, getting a little bit of variety. Hopefully that's helped to unpack yeah. all of the different paces. I feel like we covered quite a lot there. Yeah, I think we did. Rick, have you learned something? Um, a lot, actually. <laughs> Rick's <laughs> quite silent in well, the there corner. Was, there was one, was it pacing run? Mm -hmm. we, did, we didn't cover that. What was the one? No, striding. Stride, stride running? <laughs> striding? Striding. Striding? striding? I think striding is something a horse does. Uh, yeah, 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 cantering. Is it cantering? Yeah, yeah. Cantering. We galloping. Quick galloping. Oh, galloping, yeah. We've we, got galloping. We talk about strides loads. Really quickly, strides are that uh, something that you can throw in as almost like stealth speed work. So not as part of an interval session, although I might recommend doing them as part of your warm-up, but running roughly 100 metres, possibly four, up to eight of them, walking back in between where you run hard, uh, but not completely all out, thinking about a good running form. Um, and they're a really good way of sneaking speed work in at the end of, say, a, an easy 30-minute run. My yeah. favourite staple, which happens every single week, is easy run of anything from 5 to 10K. And then Andy Hobdell always adds on four times 100-metre strides. Yeah. And it's so good. It's a way of, like, all you're thinking about for that 100 metres is, is my form good? Yeah. And it teaches you to run well on tired legs. Also, it's quite fun. If you're, if you're someone that doesn't enjoy an easy run, head out at the end, go out for your easy run and then treat yourself to four times. Treat yourself. Treat, treat yourself. <laughs> I think you need strides. to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Shoes. Now at The Running Channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. <laughs> So uh, what's up next? So it's question time soon, so please stay tuned. But first, every episode, we pick a new story from the world of running to chat about. And Andy, what have you got? So my new story is from the Boston Athletic Association. So they have just announced this week their deferral policy for pregnancy. There's a lot of advocates, obviously, out there that this should be the norm. And actually, um, my understanding is that London and Berlin have had this in place for the last year or so. Uh, Boston, the next one to follow suit, potentially from a little bit of pressure from people who've complained that they had to defer, particularly when we think about the case of Boston, qualifying for this race is difficult. You have to run a qualifying time in the majority of people's cases. To then have that happen, to finally get in, and then, you know, it, it, whether planned or not, ending up wanting to have a family, that then impacting your ability to run that race and, and potentially having to cancel. And until now, the only option has been to kind of select injury as your reason for withdrawal. I think it's really important that this sort of thing's happening. This does yeah. make a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, it feels like this should have happened a long time ago. And like you say, they've done it in London. The only problem here is that with families like Andy, is that they're, 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 they're pregnant, you know, <laughs> all every, the, all, every year. All the time. So you just oh, permanently yeah. have to defer. So many children. Is this going to be a recurring <laughs> That's thing on why the Andy hasn't run a marathon yet. He actually, he's, he's, he's in. He every just year. keeps deferring. Oh, too, too many babies. Yeah, it's so important. I think the work that she races, and especially if you're in English here, who wrote an open letter to Boston, it's, it's so important because even if you're even if you're not in a situation where you need to defer it's just nice to know that you're in a racing environment where it's open and equal to everyone and also especially for races like Boston where people spend years trying to get yes. a Boston qualifier and to think that that would be taken away just because you're having a family is 
it's a shame. So I'm so glad they've done this. Nice. So Can Sarah, I tell you mine? Yes, please do tell me yours. So also another serious topic. It, oh gosh. Literally an hour before we started recording, Kenyan roadrunner Betty Wilson Lempus has got a five-year ban from um, competing. She's most famous for smashing the Paris half marathon record in yeah. September 2021. That has been removed because she's found to have been on two violations of doping in sport andy i know this is your this is dangerous this could be i could get on my high horse now (laughs) welcome uh, to the first rant from andy badly (laughs) i just i just thought i'd open it up (laughs) yeah you've deliberately you've pushed my buttons here i I could be a rick's over there pushing actual buttons but this one (laughs) is uh yeah doping's something really i was gonna say close to my heart what i mean by that is it's directly impacted me and so many of the other athletes that i raced against so yeah it, it's awful that it's still happening. I actually think potentially in the last few years, there's been such a focus on shoes and the impact that shoes have had on improving times that it's almost masked the like the doping issue. Yeah. Um, there are countries, you know, Russia have been banned from the Olympics for their past doping transgressions. Uh, the, there was discussion before Christmas about Kenya potentially being added to that list because they've had a lot of athletes in the last couple of years be sanctioned. Um, so yeah, it's something that we need to, Ultimately, I want anyone who runs to be a fan of all levels of the support of the sport. Um, but it's not that fun to be a fan of something if you don't know whether it's real. Yeah. Um, and then from a personal perspective, you know, it's, it's very likely. And I've had been told on good authority that various people that I was racing against could have been doping. And if that's the case, then, you know, I was, for example, I was next person into the final in the London 2012 Olympics. So I got knocked out in the semi-final. So if anyone in front of me had been cheating, then that has quite a big impact because then I would have been in two consecutive Olympic finals and then you keep your lottery funding, which ultimately I'd, I'd lost. Um, and, and various people in races that I did compete in have tested positive. Yeah, I think that for me... So there are two things here. Firstly, <clears throat> if you've never looked into how athletes dope it is one a minefield but also two way more complicated than I ever imagined before I looked into it so there was I actually wrote a blog post on this which I think is still on the running channel website of over lockdown how Mm. how there was the potential to dope because I always thought that it was something that you would do and then it would have a kind of immediate impact but actually doping is really good for training so we're not recommending it (laughs) no sorry (laughs) the reason you would dope is so that you could get all of the kind of beneficial impacts from it in in training so that you're recovering faster so that you're getting faster because you can train even more and go out and do a hard session yeah almost nobody is i mean unless someone's really stupid like the in competition testing everyone knows about you you're going to get tested at a big competition like the olympics or it's very likely uh particularly if you win a medal yeah um or if you set a world record, you have to be tested in that event. Otherwise, it doesn't count. But so so everyone's choosing, the people who are choosing to dope are doing it in order to gain long-term advantages from the training that they could put in. So if you doped for two years during a period where you weren't ever being tested or, or competing, then you're building up um, your aerobic capacity, your fitness, you're, you're becoming more muscularly strong. Um, and yeah, the limitations in my training when I was running was that I just couldn't recover fast enough to do as much as I wanted to do. Mentally, I was sort of ready to go again, but I was so sore from the hard training sessions, from the races and stuff. It really, it was a battle for me every time to, despite running close to 100 miles a week and, and being really well conditioned, at an Olympics, you run a heat, and I'm only running for three or four minutes, um, a heat on one day, and then you have one rest day. 
then a heat the next day, uh, semi-final the next day, then one day, and then the final. So you actually do have to be able to recover really quickly. Mm. Um, and being able to do, you know, crazy levels of training that you'd hear that these these athletes who were doping were able to do. Um, that's you, what has a big impact. If you just think about it from a, like, like I probably average at the moment, maximum like 50 to 60k a week mm. i can't even imagine how hard 100 miles a week is but being able to do that and through doping being able to recover even quicker and like maybe not have doms yeah. as badly it it's so dangerous that people are doing this and also i see your frustration <laughs> on the fact that you could be lined up against people and you don't know and actually yeah. what I would be the most annoyed about is how, so when someone is found out to be doping, they'll then get stuff stripped off them, but retrospectively, but you can't recreate the podium for if you've gone from like fourth to third in the Olympic Games. Yeah, and also that, exactly the moment for so many people, so many friends of mine that that competed during the, the Russian era of, of like doping, particularly in women's events like the 800 and 1500, like, yeah, they've, they've just lost those moments forever. So that's a, that's a big frustration. And and also it's it's never ever they can very rarely ever go back 10 years. You know, if someone was cheating at this point in their career, it's likely they were early, cheating earlier too. Yeah. Uh, but you can only kind of sanction them um, for the period f- during which you catch them. So yeah, this one is like, last week we had another one of my, <laughs> the people are just pushing my buttons <laughs> everywhere, super shoes. So we, if you'd like us to do a whole episode on super shoes, then I think we're going to plan that in the future. Yeah. And then similarly, doping, like we could do a whole episode on this and maybe talk to some people that have been directly impacted it. Yeah, do it you well. email in? I would love to know what your thoughts are. Do you follow athletics? What do you think about doping? Podcast at therunningchannel.com. Yeah. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Even if you don't care about it, we'd love to know. Yeah, actually, that's even just as interesting. Yeah. Do you if, even do you even care? Or do you just assume that everybody's cheating? Ooh. Yeah. Okay, it's question time. What have you got for us? Two this week are really fascinating ones. The first one is from Alistair. And Alistair emailed in and asked, does the perfect form exist? And should I train myself out of heel striking at all costs? It's not an easy one, this, is it? Well, I have two things to say on this. Okay, hopefully they're right. (laughs) (laughs) No no pressure. So little faith. (laughs) No, firstly... Um, this I think actually is what Anna did when she first started running. I can't remember if she was a heel striker, but she yeah, someone definitely... told her she had to, to strike with her toes. So she trained herself to only strike on her to, to be a really toey runner. Yeah. And then secondly, um, I can't remember what Olympic games this was from, but I was at a press event this week and they put up this grid picture of loads and loads of people running at an olympic games and it was literally just a snapshot of heel of heel no ankle that's what it's called ankle down of their foot and it was all people in like an olympic final and how they struck the floor maybe from like 400 to 3000 meters everyone was different really yeah i'm i'm so conscious of it now because i ran my first 5k on saturday yes back at park hey look we we almost made a whole episode he had to plug himself No, but I'm so conscious of it now because I, I I worry that I'm putting too much weight and pressure through my heel yeah. that's going to reverberate back up into my knee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually would like to know the, the, answer. the answers to this because yeah. I, I, I've lost my cadence completely. Well, well so cadence is, is related, sort of related. It's the point I want to make anyway. Sarah's point is really interesting. Uh, even at that elite level, there's huge variation. And so the, you'll often hear this 180 strides per minute 
um, magic cadence number um, or steps per minute. But actually, that's an average of all of the best runners. So, so that's why it's sort of it's what's right for you because that 180 figure is is a complete like red herring really because the is you know if a whole bunch of runners were between 160 and 200 when they looked at the elites in the particular championships which is where those original numbers came from and it averaged out at 180 um so similarly everyone will be different um i've spoken to to manny at the running channel about this uh who's who's a physiotherapist and i'm pretty sure i don't want to put words in his mouth but the the advice is you can't fundamentally massively change your style particularly if you've mm. been running for a long time you can fine-tune it and make it more efficient and make yourself less prone to injury by becoming stronger. But looking to completely kind of rewrite your running form um, is a very difficult and potentially dangerous thing to do because your body has optimized around the way it moves already. So heel striking is okay? I mean, I heel strike sometimes. The slower that I run, the more likely I am to heel strike. Um, do, do most people, though, hit flat? No, it's, it's, it's completely varied. There are some people who their heel barely touches the floor at all. And there's some people who are reaching out in front of them, making contact with their heel and then kind of rolling through. And actually, those are the things that you can look to correct. If you are reaching out a long way in front of you, you don't have any choice but to heel strike. But then that's right. when the biggest impact is going to go up through your knee and hip because you're, by making contact with the floor out in front of your body, mm. the only thing that that can do is slow you down because it's, it's, you're not, moving forwards and over your foot, you're kind of reaching out and breaking is what really? it would be called. So I'm, I'm doing some specialist gait analysis at the moment, essentially, because how I'm running now is I'm heel striking on my right foot, but on yeah. my left foot, which is attached to my metal leg. Yeah. Uh, essentially, <laughs> I flat strike or toe strike. So yeah. I've got a very unusual running stroke. But, yeah, but I mean, it's, for those it's, that- it's mental rather than physical. I actually can um run like the other leg but i'm worried about putting too much weight yeah so for those that don't know and are listening and rick has not been running really for the last three years due to a very very serious knee surgery almost like a knee reconstruction metal in his knee multiple surgeries and finally at the weekend is back to to running a 5k for the first time but totally understandably your proprioception is different and your confidence to run Mm. normally is it's going to take time to come back so to answer this question um does perfect form exist there are some people with some beautiful running form. So I suppose it exists in the world, but perfect running form for you is is the way that you can optimize your own body to move within the parameters of, of your flexibility um, and your strength. So I, I would focus always on getting stronger and making small changes rather than trying to make huge fundamental mm. changes. And sometimes that means that heel striking is going to be okay, basically. Okay, our second question today is from Gemma, who emailed to ask... What exactly is an illegal shoe? <laughs> you get arrested on the spot. That was uh, Rex BBC voice there. <laughs> I didn't know illegal shoes existed. Yes. I mean, so, you've almost, very almost got a pair on. Yeah, Rick's wearing a pair of uh, very hokers. high stack height hokers in the studio today. What's that, Bondi? Um, yeah, used to be called hocker one ones, now just called hockers. Oh, good knowledge. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, they changed their strap line and everything. Yeah, these are basically the high heels version of trainers. <laughs> yes. So illegal shoes. Would these be illegal? No, no, they wouldn't. They're 
close. So shoes stack heights have get, been getting higher and higher. And basically at some point you have to draw the line. Otherwise in the oh, Paris Olympics, people will be on stilts. But this so. is not about like, you know, going to your local race and being told you can't run. No, <laughs> no, exactly. That's a really good point. So that they are illegal in inverted commas for professional athletes. So right. if you're going to turn and people have won big city races in what have turned out to be illegal shoes, either, uh, to my knowledge, not deliberately, they've been given a shoe that's either a prototype or, um, or is available to the, the mass market, but doesn't have, doesn't meet the criteria. So for World Athletics, it's less than 40 millimeters of stack height. Your foot should be less than 40 millimeters above the road. Wow. It's different well, on the tracks, 20 millimeters high. or 25. Um, so it is still really high. Um, and very conveniently, uh, the numbers were brought in by World Athletics to exactly match the existing Nike shoes that were on the market at the time. Mm. Not to start a conspiracy theory. Just uh, my own opinion. Things you learn on this podcast. <laughs> but if you do own a pair of illegal shoes, then don't worry. Unless you're yeah. Yeah. breaking records or winning races, you're fine. Yeah, they're just they're going to be slightly higher. Um, so that could mean that they're slightly less supportive. So you would like to make sure that you're a nice uh, neutral runner that, that has no concerns about injury or, or running form and stability and so on. Um, but other than that, you should just crack on. Um, ideally, they, they might give you a bit of extra support or recovery or just help you run faster. But if you are worried about World Athletics stringent rules, then you need to keep below that 40 millimetre road limit. <laughs> or they will turn up, arrest you on the spot. Yeah, you'd be in big trouble. <laughs> um, so that brings us to the end. You've been listening to the Running Channel podcast. We are thrilled that so many people are coming back each week. And we've got big plans for this podcast. So could you do us a small favour and rate and leave us a review? I am loving seeing the fact that it's now out in the world and it actually has stars next to it. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. And we you're essentially getting us with no filter that could be a really good thing or a really bad thing and we do read the comments yes we do. so, so, don't, so don't be mean be nice. yeah. <laughs> good comments only if you're going to write something bad just pop onto another podcast and write it there <laughs> <laughs> no no we will we welcome any feedback and uh, try and make uh, try and make changes if we can just send it to Rick at <laughs> and we will see you next time This episode was brought to you by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which has a focus on both comfort and endurance. So an ultra springy, responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh, which is what Jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10K. And she's been focused on consistency. So being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best. If you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes.